You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as I, as we open up your word, that you would not allow me to say anything that's not true of your of your word, that your spirit, you would, you would speak. You would remind us of your faithfulness, your goodness, and your love. And so, Father, I thank you for that. I'm going to pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Uh, Ten years ago, I ran an ultra marathon. So if anybody does not know what that is, that's, that's literally anything above a marathon. That's just like a cool way of saying even if you did 27 miles, it's like, oh, that's an ultra marathon because that's more than 26.2. Uh, there was nothing really special um, about that for me because I can barely even run a mile now. And so, but 10 years ago, I was able to do this. And this was a 30-mile race in the mountains of the Appalachian Trail. So it was like off and on of that, uh, a lot of elevation tra- change changes in that. In order to to finish that race, I had to have a ton of nutrients calories like I remember at that time that I literally ate whatever I wanted because I was running 20 to 30 miles a week right and so I as I'm running this race there's these stations they call them aid stations but there's basically tables of food that are set up for you as you run so you don't have to carry them on a backpack as you're running you know so these aid stations and people are giving you all this food and I remember uh, this is not like you know imagine like your favorite candy Okay, this is what it was like. It was like a, a feast for people who were not dieting at all. There were M&M's, Snickers, Reese's. Uh, there was, uh, this is odd, but it was really satisfying to me. Potatoes with salt, and I'll explain that in a second. Bananas, apples, Gatorade, like all that you could need. Yogurt, you guys are like, I don't want to eat yogurt and run. But like this was things that my body needed. And I remember being so depleted at, at around, like, after 15 miles that I was like, my, I knew my body needed, kind of like a, like a pregnant woman knows, like, hey, you better go get this, like, ice cream right now because my body needs this. Like, I need this right now. And I remember uh, needing salt so much that I took a potato that was like a cooked potato and I dipped it in salt and you couldn't even see the potato anymore because it was just, like, covered in this salt. And usually that would not be healthy at all, but my body needed it. Like, these are things that I needed to, that if I didn't have this, I would cramp up. I would probably fall over. Uh, my energy would have drained. I would have been dehydrated without these things. And so these food stations, in a sense, that were prepared for me, they sustained me. They just sustained me. And what we see over and over in this psalm is that uh, God sustains David. 
He gives him all that he needs to keep going. From the very beginning of this psalm, uh, David refers to God as his shepherd. And the result is he says, I lack nothing. Last week, we were reminded even in the darkest moments or circumstances, God is with us. David shifts, even from last week, his focus from he to you. It says God's care is so dominant that his presence is able to calm us and give us courage in every season. He continues this language in the next verse. He says in verse 5, the very first phrase, you prepare a table before me. David moves from being the shepherd to God being a host. So understand this, like in the past several weeks that we've talked about, we've talked about God being a shepherd. But David's language is shifting to show God as a host. And whatever your picture of hospitality and, and hosting people at your home, I want you to consider what it was like in the, the, ancient, the ancient Near East. Hospitality was a big deal. Author Kenneth Bailey says this, In the ancient Near East, if you wanted your community to know you had been blessed in acquiring more wealth, you didn't buy a nicer house. You held a fancy meal with three times more food than anyone can eat. Like hospitality providing food was such a significant deal. Psalm 23 is not just a story of a good shepherd, but of a good host who provides everything that we need. And notice this. What does it say? You prepare a table for me. God is responsible for all the activity. Like there's not, it's not like you bring something, you bring something here, kind of like we do as a missional community, right? Everyone brings something to the table. But what's happening here is that David is saying that God is the host and he's hosting at, his, at, at the table where he doesn't have to contribute anything other than just showing up. Like it's just, this is welcome. Like God says, you show up here. And two weeks ago, my wife and I and, and our family, we went to Gatlinburg. We had this great idea that we were going to vacation with two of our really good friends, uh, which was a great idea until I tell you this, that there were eight kids under seven years old. And so those of you in this room with kids, you'd be like, okay, yep, there's some wisdom there to saying like, this may not be the best idea, but this is what was happening. In Gatlinburg, uh, we, were, we were hanging out together, and one of our friends at the end of our time together said, I think we spent more time in the kitchen than we did anywhere else. Why? Because there's eight kids, and we're constantly providing these snacks and this food and preparing uh, food for breakfast, for lunch, and dinner ready for the whole family. And get this, the kids are having the time of their life. Why? Because they're not preparing anything. They just say, Mom, Dad, I'm hungry, and then the table's set for anything that they want. Can you imagine like what that would be like if, if we had hired someone to cook for us the whole week where we could just go to the table, leave, someone else is doing dishes, and we just do that the entire time? This is what's happening in the psalm. When David refers to God as a host, he's saying, you prepare a table before me. It's saying that God is doing all the work. The image, imagine this, that you're sitting at a table and you're not having to do anything. You're not having to cut vegetables, boil water, get the plates out. You're sitting at a table and God, in joyful satisfaction, prepares this table in front of you, providing for all of your needs. He's not asking you to help or to contribute he wants you to sit and enjoy what he has for you. In the New Testament, the table was a place where Jesus met people's needs. Rosaria Butterfield, she uh, wrote a book called Gospel, The Gospel Comes in a House Key. And she says this, Jesus dines with sinners so that he can get close enough to touch us, so that he can participate in the intimacy of table fellowship as a healer and a helper. 
Jesus comes to change us, to transform us, so that after we have dined with Jesus, we want Jesus more than the sin that beckons our fidelity. God is at the table, and he's providing for every need of yours. You prepare a table means literally you prepare a meal in the ancient Near East. The master provides the food all the time, and the women and the servants prepare the food. So just a couple of examples here, but the master never prepares the food, okay? If God is the master here, he's not preparing the food. In the story of Abraham in Genesis 18, <clears throat> guests arrive, and Abraham invites them to rest and eat. But then what does he do? He goes to Sarah and asks her to make bread, and then gets one of his servants to prepare the calf that he gets. Abraham does not prepare the food. The same happens in the story of the prodigal son. The father orders this banquet, and the servants prepare the food, and the father does not prepare the food. This passage is clearly showing here that God is actually engaging in activities that in the culture only females and servants would do. God is engaging in something that is seen as lowly. And as Jesus said, that he came to not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for, for many. In this verse, God is changing the, the, the reality of what culture says, and he's taking the form of a servant to give David everything he needs. Listen, a table without lack. God is both a good shepherd and a generous host. David, again, is echoing what he said in, in verse 1. He's saying, God is satisfying me and providing for all of my needs. He doesn't have to bring anything to the table. David's not, David's not bringing anything to the table because all of his needs are met. And he is there and, and is being prepared by God. God is the initiator and the preparer. He's the host. He's the one who's hosting everyone. He has created a space for us to find rest, satisfaction, and joy. And it is in his presence that we experience these incredible gifts. There's four things, if I can, if I can just encourage you to remember from this. And, and the first one is this. God gives you everything you need. Like, God provides everything you, you need in his presence, in him, for those who trust him. And the question I want to ask, and this is often even a question that I need to ask daily is what do you think you need to bring to the table like do you have this thought inside of you right now or like maybe it was this past week where you're like man if i did this or if i had this many times in the word like i feel closer to god or i i would feel connected to god more if i did these things what do you believe that you can do to get a seat at the table like do you have this thought process that if you did this, this, and this, you would have a seat at the table. Like, if you were good enough, God would welcome you into the table. And that's not what's happening. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to earn a seat at the table other than to trust Jesus as your Savior. God is preparing a table, and he's welcoming you as you are. After our first year in Mexico, as some of you guys know, my wife and I lived in Mexico for four and a half years. And I think I have a picture of this. We met this family uh, and their names are Tito and Josefina, and they had two girls, and then their, um, his mom lived with them as well. And so this is just a picture of a table that we had. It wasn't anything extravagant. It wasn't fancy. Um, it was actually outside because they didn't have room inside to put the table. And they would invite us over to eat a meal, and we would stay there for hours, and literally everything was there. There was never a request for us to bring anything. It was just this invitation to come over and experience 
their generosity. And I don't know if you know anything about a lot of other cultures, especially in Mexico, where uh, Tito was making maybe, uh, I think, a $10 a day at the most. And so you have, like, them providing all, all they, like, a lot of what they have to generously provide for us. And we would sit together and we would enjoy that time together. That's what's happening in this picture, that, that God is hosting David. And he says, I have everything you have. You can find all your satisfaction and your joy here in my presence. It's not necessarily just about the food, but it's the presence of God that satisfies you. God is not only preparing a table, but he continues. And he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, uh, maybe let's just stop there. Like, you prepare a table before me, let's, let's stop there. But he goes on and he says, in the presence of my enemies. And so the question that we should ask is like, what are the enemies that David's talking about? And we can know, if you, if you know anything about the story of David, David, a lot of his life was running away from Saul because Saul was trying to kill him. And so you have this idea that, that part of this is like, Saul is David's enemy. But why is Saul after David? There's something that Saul believes deeply inside. And so teachers in the early church, in early church history, even to now, have used the language of three enemies of the soul, the devil, the flesh, and the world. John Montcomer talks about this. He says, the devil uses deceptive ideas, lies about who God is and who we are and what we need. These lies then play into our fleshly desires, which are normalized by the following world, the fallen world around us. And so there's this picture that what's happening here is not like, like Saul is not just David's enemy, but Saul is, has an enemy too. That, that Satan has deceived him to believe a certain lie about himself and about David. That he was jealous of David. And we see this again in another story in Luke 15. This is the story of the prodigal son. As you guys may know, the young son uh, took all of his inheritance and then he went away. And what did he do? He spent all of his wealth, all of his wealth, thinking that the riches were going to satisfy him, the things that he bought would satisfy him. And so he bought into this lie that this is where satisfaction is found. Then he also believed, after he realized that this actually led him empty, and what the scripture says, he actually tried to go and get food with the pigs, but there was none for him, right? Like the desperation there that led, it, led him there. But he also believed that he had sinned too much to stay his father's son. So it actually says, the scripture says, he convinced himself that he would go back to his father's servant um, as, a, as a servant. So he said, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to tell him, hey, I'm, I'm doing, have, I don't have the ability, like honor to be your son anymore because of what I've done. So I'm going to be your servant. But how did the father respond? With deep love and compassion. And he welcomed him home and provided a massive feast. And he said, you're welcome back at the table. And the presence of my enemies are things that cause destruction. These are things that twist what is true and deceive you. And what, what we need to hear today, guys, is that God is not sending the devil, the flesh, and the world away, but rather allows you to experience his abundance and sufficiency in the midst of them. I don't know what you're experiencing right now, but God is not saying, like, I'm, I'm going to take those away from you necessarily. It may happen. But there are times that God's saying, I have a, a table before you in the presence of your enemies so that even when you experience this, this tragedy in your life, you can be satisfied by God's abundance. Incredible. 
And this is the reality of following Jesus. It's not about becoming nicer, happier people, but rather becoming a people full of love who can overcome inner struggles and the external struggles of life. David says, you prepare a table before me with all the distractions, the fears, the struggles surrounding me. He does not say this, my needs are met when things are going well or when I'm doing everything right, but rather my needs are met by him alone in the middle of deception, battles of the flesh, the influences of the world. And this is what the devil says to you. You are too far gone. You've done too much bad. You need to do this, this, and this, and this in order for you to have a place at the table. You need to become a better person. You need to sacrifice more. And then God's response to you is this. Come feast at my table. My grace is sufficient for you. Trust in me. Psalm 78, 19. Uh, if you guys remember, Israel had been delivered from Egypt. And after a while, they, were, they just spoke against God, like crying out. And this is what Psalm 78, 19 says. Can God really spread a table in the wilderness? Like we're in the middle of nowhere. Can God actually provide it, like a meal for us? Can he provide for my needs in the middle of nowhere? And he can. Like where all hope seems lost, he can spread a table in your lowest places with enemies lurking around. And he goes on. If you, if you read the psalm in verse 25, it says, He sent them food in, get this, abundance. He sent them food in abundance. He did not just provide for their need, and that's it at the lowest level. He said he gave them abundantly more than what they needed, even in their complaining. Ryan Paulson is a pastor. He was preaching about this in Psalm 25. He says, God prepares this table before you while your enemies push back against you. This is the art of following Jesus. This is part of becoming a disciple. It is to sit down at the table with your enemies and learn how to feast on the goodness of, of, of the gospel in their presence. This is it, guys. It's like, man, it's not that, that I'm going to learn how to follow Jesus when everything's good. But I'm going to learn how to follow Jesus and submit to him when everything is bad. Like when there's a lot of circumstances in my life that are not going the way that we want them to. And last week, Luke reminded us that we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we will enter difficulty in this life. It is, it is a promise in scripture. The beauty of that verse last week that we read was that the truth is that God is with me. The good news of what we've read today is that God prepares a table for me. While, while I'm tempted to fall away by the enemy, he is promising abundance while you, ex- while you experience challenge and difficulty. And the second thing I want you guys to remember today is this. You can experience God's abundant love and fullness in the midst of your darkest circumstances and failures. In the midst of your failures, in the, the midst of your brokenness, you can actually experience God's fullness. David continues in this theme of abundance with this, this phrase. He says, you anoint my head with oil. And so I recognize as you read that, some of you guys just read past it because you're like, that doesn't make any sense to me. There's no one in this room when they turn 16, get a driver's license and someone's pouring oil on their head, right? Or at least that I, I don't know of that. And so you have this picture of like, you read this, and you're like, I'm kind of confused about this. But in the, in scripture, there were many reasons why you would anoint someone uh, initiation to royalty, wounds and sores, and for the sick. Um, and for this specific verse, when David says, you anoint my head with oil, he's saying, 
This is a, this is a, the oil, the word used there is for hospitality. It's like this welcome. And this phrase hits home for David, and that's why he says it. He says, you anoint my head with oil, because David became king. And when David became king, he was nothing that deserved to be king. And actually, Scripture says uh, that Samuel went to all his brothers and was like, this surely, this is the one. And then uh, God told Samuel, nope, that's not the one. He would go to the next one. This, this guy is definitely it. And over and over he said, no. And there were no other brothers that were there. And then Samuel's like, do you have another brother? Like, where is he? And it's David all the way getting shepherds to come back, right? And, and David is the one that God decided to choose. And this is what Scripture says about David in, in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected that. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. There was nothing special about David, yet God welcomed him as king um, through God's servant Samuel. He didn't have anything to bring to the kingdom. There was nothing special about David. He was the youngest. He was pretty small, yet God desired to call him. God's welcoming call through Samuel was a generous hospitality as the king of Israel. It was this welcoming from, from God to David. And so this word, bearing in that in mind, this, this phrase here, when he says, you anoint my head with oil, oil, is deeply rooted in hospitality. So a better translation would be of this verse, if you were trying to understand this, is to say, you refresh me, David says. All of verse 5, guys, don't miss this, builds to an overwhelming vision of God's delight in his people. One, we often struggle to incorporate into our own views of God. It's easy for me, at least, to think of God as a distant judge, one who gives us rules to live by and who punishes us when we come up short. And that's not the picture that God, that we receive here in Psalm 23. The response is that God is going all in to welcome you. Like he's going all in to David. He's like, come, I'm going to do all this for you at the table. I'm anointing your head with oil. All of these things. David's imagery in this verse is abundance. Don't let the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of sin, and the pursuit of riches keep you from experiencing the deep love of God at the table. This is it. Number three, God delights in you. God delights in you. And I would even just ask, like, how many in this room can struggle with that phrase right there, that statement? Like, do you actually believe that? Or do you believe that there's something you need to do in order for God to delight in you? That you're not good enough for God to actually delight in you? This is what Zephaniah 3.17 says. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. This is the overwhelming love that God has. And he says he delights in you. Lastly, David says, after all that he's experienced from God, like literally all these things, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, and this is the culmination of what's happening. My cup overflows. Okay, I've only been in Paragold for a year and a half, and I've been to Iron Horse a couple times, and I don't know if you guys experienced this, but whenever I went to Iron Horse, I went with Tyler Mobley and, and Fletcher Ladding, and we were there, and I remember Tyler took a sip of his coffee, and I'm telling you, there was like maybe this much from the top, and that waitress coming, running, 
pouring that coffee over. And then again, he didn't even take a sip another time. They came and just poured it right over. It was probably 10 times in like 10 minutes. They're just coming to pour over and over this coffee. And this is the image. Like David is at the table where, as a, as a guest, where God continually fills his cup to overflowing. It's like he takes a sip, and as he's sipping, the, the, the cup is full. And that imagery here is this, guys, is that God's love abounds and is abundant. And as John 10.10 says, so I don't, I don't have this on the screen, but John 10.10 says, the enemy, the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has come so that you might have abundant life. Like, that's the promise from Scripture. How is that true? Like, how is that a reality? How is it true that God promises for you to have abundant life? This is it. Because Jesus took the cup of sin and shame in the Garden of Gethsemane. He defeated death and drank every last drop of sin and shame so that we can experience his fullness. If you trust in him, when you trust in him that he's taken all of these things, then you can have the abundance that he promises. Author Author K.J. Ramsey notes this, We are containers of God's care, full of it. All that is needed is to practice staying there. Stay right there, at the table, ready to be refilled. We have only to try, trusting that goodness comes from the host's hand. That's God. He who drank the drugs of death is here to stand. He serves us mercy. He gives us grace. His very breath fills us to make this table a spacious place. As we trust in God's abundance and goodness, we are filled by his love to then extend that love to others. She goes on to say, when we are bumped, it will be like the, it will be love that flows down from the edges of our cups. The results of what God does here is that my cup overflows, like David says. My joy, my satisfaction, my purpose is not dependent on what I do for God and what my circumstances are, but what he's done for me generously. I don't know what your view of God is. If you think God is like this distant judge, but God is a generous God who is hospitable, who says, I welcome you to the table to experience my fullness. Come. The last point is this, number four, God's goodness overflows to you and to others. The response is mission. Like it's not just for you, but it's for you so that you can bless others, so that you can love others. And I just want to, I want to close our time with this story. And as I, as I finish the story, uh, the band can come up. But I want to tell you the story about a, a man named Mephibosheth. Uh, can you raise your hand if you've heard this story before? Mephibosheth? Okay. Uh, not until like three years ago, or was in, we were in Mexico, so that was longer, six or seven. I read this story for the first time, and it impacted me in a way that, uh, it's, it's my favorite story, one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Mephibosheth was a son of Jonathan, grandson of Saul. And in 2 Samuel 9, it's a beautiful story. I encourage you to, to take a look, um, to take a look at, at that when you, when you get a chance to read it. Um, but power changed hands. Saul dies. Jonathan dies. And people were fleeing in this, where this battle was. And the, they were fleeing the palace and this lady was holding, uh, this, this person, this uh, boy named Mephibosheth, and she drops him on his legs, and his legs uh, broke, and he became crippled. And his whole life, he was crippled. 
he was he was he became a beggar. And in scripture, a lot of times those who don't have any way of like there's something wrong with them, it's a major obstacle. So he became a beggar on on the streets. King David, I don't know if you remember this, but was a really good friend with Jonathan. They were best friends. And David would ask the servant, is there anyone alive from the family of Jonathan that I could bless? Like, is there anyone left? And then David's servants told him about one person left in the family. And it was Mephibosheth. And what David does there, he goes to Mephibosheth and he says, I want to invite you to my table the king, where you could experience fullness. And the scripture actually says this literal phrase. It says, you will eat at the king's table all the days of your life. Get this picture of this, this person, Mephibosheth, broken, nothing to add. And he says over and over, he's believing this lie. He's like, I'm not good enough to sit at your table. I'm broken. Do you see me? He's saying all these things. And David says, because of who your father is, I'm welcoming you to the table. Listen, guys, that's that reality. Because of who our father is, you're welcome to the table. Like, if you're in this room and you trusted Jesus, you are welcome to the table. And there's nothing you can add. And if you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus, the response is, come to the table. Like, trust in me. Believe in me, and there's life at the table where there's abundance and it never ends, where the cup runs over and over and over. And I don't know about you, but too often there are many of us that don't feel like you belong at God's table. We live more like beggars than children welcome to God's table. And the invitation is this. You don't have to be a beggar. Like God's welcome to you is come and receive what God has poured out for you. Let's pray. Father, I I don't even think I can fully comprehend the depth of the love, the hospitality, your generosity that you've poured out on me. Father, I pray in this room that you would reveal to every person your deep love and delight over them. That as the creator of this world and the creator of every person in this room, you delight in them. And you long for your creation to trust in you to believe in you and to walk with you. So Father, I pray that there's not a sense of of condemnation, but a sense of urgency to put their trust and faith in you today. Father, I pray that as we leave this building where our church family is gathered, that we will leave with a sense of awe, love, because we've been deeply welcomed to the table with open arms, with you smiling at us, welcoming us, providing every single need. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father.
We pray these things in your name. Amen.